What's cool. going on, everybody? We're back with the Real Bodybuilding Podcast. This is episode number 107, and I'm here with Mr. Dave Tate, the owner of Elite FTS and Powerlifting Legend. How are you, sir? Good. How are you doing, man? It's been a long time. I'm good, man. I'm good. We haven't <laughs> we haven't seen each other in a while because uh, mainly because of COVID. Because yeah, John keeps asking me to come over, and I can't. You know, the border issue is a, a disaster. But I've been dying to get over to the new new gym and see mm-hmm. the new setup. But um, how are you, man? How are things going? They're good. Good. I mean, last year was interesting as it was for everybody, but it seems to be kind of stabilizing a little bit here. Uh, maybe not so much for you guys, yeah. but, you know, a little bit here. So at least as things are kind of starting to um, settle, I'll just say settle because it's well, different. It's interesting. I was going to ask you, though. I mean, things were bad for a lot of people last year. Mm-hmm. But I think things in the gym business industry probably got better, no? In some ways. I'm in retail, right? So yeah. I work with manufacturers. Okay. So I had a, it was a lot of pivoting for us because I had a lot of manufacturers that, and I understand it, you know, did better to go direct to customer. Okay. Because why pay the middleman? Yeah, yeah. If they're going to go direct. So then we can't find product, you know, so during a time with, you know, a great demand were kind of getting yeah. stuck with that. So it was, it was not the year for us that people think it was. But I thought you were, correct. obviously correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought you were manufacturing your own uh, I have partners. I have partners. Okay. So I have several different partners. So it goes back a long ways to where I wanted to just focus on, you know, content and what we do best and then have manufacturers just focus on what they do best. And then between that, they don't have to worry about the marketing and all that stuff. We do that, you know, so those partnerships essentially were formed. Now, some of those did very, very well, you know, during COVID, it was a good thing. Um, Most of them were not. So for, for us particular, it was, it was good because it exposed which relationships were actually worth fighting for, you know, and Mm -hmm. keeping Mm -hmm. and which ones it was time to, you know, pivot away from and start looking into other options. So I was going to, uh, I want to go back to your history a little bit, but now since we're talking about it, I want to, one of the main things that one of the main reasons I want to get you on, get you on is I like that you've transitioned from powerlifting into business and you've kind of been just as successful in both. Mm-hmm. So can you explain to people what, ex- how did the business start? How did Elite, Elite FTS start? Um, I was still competing at the time which, I mean, there's a lot of lessons that you kind of learned in hindsight, right? I probably would have either quit competing sooner or waited to start the business later mm-hmm. if, if I was to go back because there was a crossover of probably five or six years. And the way that my mind was competing, it was my, it was my first priority, which business was just kind of second. So to answer your question, it started because I was doing a lot of consulting and seminars for Louis Simmons at the time. So that kept scaling up a little bit. And then through one of the seminars, I hooked up with a guy that was basically starting a new type of forum, but it was just going to be, they ask the question and you answer and that's it. So none of the bullshit that we were seeing 20 years ago, 15 years ago with forums, no threats. Yeah. And that intrigued me because I was already doing a lot of question and answers online. And this was a real time way to do it. 
So that's what started the online part was just that Q&A. Mm -hmm. And then from there and through the consulting, people were asking me things like, where do you buy chains? Where do you buy bands? Where do you buy these Russian manuals? Where do you get this? So it just kind of evolved into an e-commerce store. And then from there, it was um, just kind of growing. It's the, the interesting thing for us is outside of the first year, say the first year sales, I mean, it was bad. So say the first year sales were like $700. I mean, it was, it was not, I mean, it was bad, right? <laughs> what, was so the, the, what was the sales? What were the $700? You're selling just getting stuff um, for people? I think at the time I was selling and it was magazine ads, um, like sled straps and sleds and maybe just a couple other products. It wasn't much. Right. And there yeah. was in fairness to their only, <laughs> their only four months in the year because yeah. of where it, we started. Yeah. But I, I make that point because that was that first year to the second year was the only year that we had double di double digit growth. Okay. Right. So yeah, when you go from 700 to 3000, yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah. But outside of that, we've never had a year where we grew by more than 10%, you okay. know, in, in all the 22 years that we've been here. So I've never had the rapid growth thing or anything like that. Um, I, I see now that why that's a good thing, but it, it yeah. kind of sucks at the same time because yeah. you learn a lot of lessons across the board. So it, it came about through the powerlifting, but mainly more from the powerlifting is what put me in front of the coaches and the people that wanted the consulting with strength development. Mm -hmm. So that's where it started from. And then it just was filling the need from that. See that it's a little confusing to me because I think to myself, it's probably a good thing that it started together. No, cause you, I know you, I know what you're thinking. You're what you're saying. You're saying you were so focused on powerlifting that you would have liked to have had it start later. So you could be focused on just that. But at the same time, wouldn't, wouldn't you powerlifting at the same time as starting it kind of get it off the ground? Yeah, most definitely. Don't get me wrong on that. I, I, I still think the crossover was very necessary. Yeah. You know, it's when I think back now, it's the things like and keep the, the sales were very, very small. So what goes through my head is, let's say, you know, I didn't even start work until noon. Right. Yeah. So and at the time I have, you know, an ad and I have a website and there's a phone number. And this is this is gonna expose my age. I had a beeper, right? Because I couldn't the cell phones were too expensive. Yeah. Yeah. So the beeper would give the it's just old school shit. But so I would go in, I would train. Mm. And then by the time I got back home, it's noon, right? And then I got noon until eight or nine or whatever it's gonna be. But I didn't realize how much business actually comes in before noon. Yeah. And until actually I got to the point where you know, I stepped away totally and was able to move my training to a more accommodating time because of the business. And that's three years or so is probably good, but six years, things are way different now too. Cause yeah. you know, the, I had a beeper, like now you can run a business through your phone. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So if I could go back and have the technology we have now, I would probably completely change that, yeah. You know, yeah. that opinion, but I didn't. So that's what made it so hard is I wasn't able to build the relationships yeah. you need to build in business being that most of the time that I was available to be on the phone was sometimes later, even than one, mm -hmm. you know, so how it's uh, interesting. You said that how important are the relationships in business and how many of them that you developed in powerlifting have helped, helped kind of launch your business to where it is now. 
Um, well, there's two, there's two questions with that because there's the ones that you develop in powerlifting, right. Are pretty much like your gym bros or whatever you want to call it. I mean, training partners that you've had stand the test of time. Mm-hmm. I mean, those, some of those people it's, I got two people I still train with now. I've been probably been training with for 30 years, yeah. you know? So those, I, I keep those away from my business as much as I can. Right. Because when, when friends get associated with business, it's kind of the same time they stop being friends. It's, it's a really fucking weird dynamic. And until you have a business for a time period, you start to see what I'm saying. Yeah. Right. It's like yeah. your friendships start thinking more of the law the lines of, Oh, that's cool. How can we leverage this? How can we leverage this? And it's, you got to have a really, really good friendship to be able to sit down and have a business conversation and then keep that separate from, you know, uh, the, the regular conversation. So that aside, I think those relationships that at least I've had through the years when I was competing, last time I competed was 2004, I believe. I keep a lot of those relationships because to me, it's very important to be grounded in where you actually came from, right? And, and I'm a meathead. I'm always going to be a meathead. I've learned that lesson. It's, it's something in my brain that's just wired the way it is. If I'm not around that personality, I start to really get upset. I mean, it's, I, I don't yeah. like not being around that personality. I don't need to be around it all the time. Yeah. yeah. Then your business is going to fucking really suffer. Right. <laughs> so I think those relationships are good just for me for mental health. Now, the relationships and business on the other side, they're vital. It's everything okay. you can have. That's one of the reasons why I jumped back on Instagram, to be honest with you, is I pulled off of it probably a little bit more than a year ago because I, everything's a balancing act. So I couldn't justify the time I was putting on there to the return that it was leading in business sales or whatever it's going to be. It was, it was too, it wasn't even business went up when I went off. So there's that thing. But when Juji was just out here a couple of days ago and he said something that resonated with me and I don't even know if he understood or realized that he basically said he uses it as his inbox. Now, granted he's got millions of followers, but to him, one of the key reasons he kept it is because that's his inbox. And I live and die by email. But then that kind of, then I asked him, well, do you really use email? Yeah. And then I started asking other people. And a lot of people today really don't use email like I do. Yeah. yeah. So I, I was actually by pulling off of that, I was cutting my own throat in regards to the relationship. So I jump on there, right? And I'm looking yeah. through all the past DMs and I see your name. I'm like, oh, fuck. What's yeah? And it's a pod- see what I'm saying? Yeah, I yeah, just, yeah. This podcast validates that. Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, I, I messaged you like six months ago or something yeah. like that. So, yeah, no, I didn't, I didn't even realize you were gone. I wanted mm-hmm. to stop you though for a second and go back to. Well, I want to get back to the relationships part with business, but I want to finish off the relationship part with friends. Do you ever feel like, as your business was taking off, you wanted to bring your friends with you along for the ride? Because I'm going through that now, and my business is, is getting better and better each month or each, you know, as we go. And I feel like my closest friends, I want to bring them with me, but I also worry about the pitfall that you just mentioned. I'm, I'm trying to think back to see if I ever had that situation. I, um, I guess what I'm asking is, is it, would it be hard for you to imagine your business taking off and your friends not doing so well? And do you want to bring them with you? Well, Here's, here's the most, this is something somebody told me 15, 20 years ago. And if they're really true friends, they're going to support your business, right? 
So let's say they're really true friends and you set it up a paywall. They're going to be the first persons to join it. They're not going to be the people to come to you and say, hey, man, can you give me the password? Yeah. Right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So yeah. 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 that's kind of something that I've used to determine that. And I've also that also stuck with me a lot, too, that if my friends do set up a pay site or they do have an ebook, I'm going to be the first one to buy it. You know, even though I know they would send it to me, that just kind of always stuck. So my my wife is co-owner of the business. So and it's a family run business and my sister-in-law works here. So I don't want to sit here and say that I wouldn't want to bring the friends along when I have family. Yeah. Right. It, I think it depends on the real true nature of the friend. Is it somebody that you're going to be able to sit down and have an honest business conversation, say in a conference room, right? And you got to be direct with them. Like, look, this is fucking up. This is fucking up. Mm -hmm. And then walk out to the gym and train and that conversation is not going to be there. Yeah. Yeah. I got you. Right. Now it's, I get it. It's always going to be there. There's nothing that ever sticks, but they're able, you're able to separate the roles. No, I totally get it. I have a friend like that. And and we, the people that watch the podcast know Paul and he's like, he's my best friend and training partner. And we run a, a bodybuilding show together he's probably the one person I could see having like a business conversation and then mm-hmm. still, still going out to the gym and killing it and not like that conversation didn't happen. So yes. I do, I do see what you mean. It's almost like that person has to almost be family. They do. It's trust. It all comes yeah. down to trust, right? Yeah. So you got to have somebody that, and anybody can fuck you over, you know, everybody knows that you can get fucked over by the people closest to you, probably more so than the ones not, mm-hmm. but the, the trust is the most vital part, you know? Yeah. Um, going on to relationships in business, one of the one of the impressions we met a long time ago, and we had uh, lunch briefly at a, a conference. Me, you, and John Meadows, and I, the impression I got from you is you're kind of a no bullshit kind of guy, mm-hmm. and I think that's true. I mean, would you uh, would you say that's kind of yeah? One I, of I don't have that way. I don't. It, I I grew up with. This is how I explain this. I grew up with a lot of learning disabilities and special ed dyslexia every label you can have i put in there so i can't keep track of the lies you see what i'm saying so now i'm gonna i'm not gonna tell you i'm gonna have brutalist brutal brutally honest truth because sometimes you don't really want to say what's in your head i get that right but if i'm going to start this lying stuff i'm going to be the worst person at it because a month from now i'm going to completely forget what the hell it was so that's i think where a lot of the it's not that I'm a no bullshit person. It's just, I don't want to have to work that hard at trying to remember my bullshit. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good way to look at it. <laughs> well, one of the things I struggle with that I want to ask you about is when creating those business relationships, do you do a lot of small talk or do you focus on the business relationships that you can turn into real friendships? At the, at the beginning, I'm going to focus on what's important. Mm-hmm. Right. The, the friendship can come later. Right. Because there's certain things you know, I'm in retail. Right. So yeah. there, there's one thing. There's certain things that it's either going to make or break the deal immediately. I have a minimum margin I have to receive. Of course. You know, if I say if I'm selling your product, I got a minimum margin. I have to It had nothing to do with you, not your company. You have your margins. But if I can't get that out on the table immediately, mm-hmm. then we're just going to talk about business for like an hour. And it's going to end up being shit, man. I can't my numbers don't work that way because all my expenses that come after the cost of goods sold are going to wash that out. Yeah. I want to get those things like the non-negotiable things just kind of out of the way. 
first. That way we can still have a conversation with friendly, but at least now nobody's trying to like find the angle or whatever it's going to be. It's like, what that just makes sense to me because the other party is going to have non-negotiables too. Yeah. Like, let's just get these out. Then if it doesn't work, that's cool. Let's still have lunch or whatever we're going to do. But if then if we got what you, there's a lot of wasted time that I've seen mm-hmm. just in the negotiations on things that people just don't have the authority mm-hmm. or the financial ability to be able to bend on. Yeah. Yeah. So you mean like, and, and it's something I've noticed in, in starting my business is you'll, you'll make a phone call and the end of the phone call will be the most important part. No, I don't so, do that. So for you, <laughs> so for you, you're like, hey, this is what I need. And you, you kind of tell them the, the most important stuff first, which is obviously what's yeah. your margin? What are we going to sell for? You get that out of the way right away. Immediately. I do. I do. Mm-hmm. And maybe people think it's abrasive. Maybe they don't. It's just, I don't want to waste anybody's time. I don't want to waste their time. There's a, keep in mind, there's a lot of things in any negotiation beyond those non-negotiables. Yeah. I mean, each party might have one you know, maybe one or two, but there might be eight other things you got to figure out. Shipping times, quantities, terms, you know, all this other stuff yeah. kind of falls in there. Yeah. So now outside of that, I'm not going to spend, you know, because most of it is supplier re- relationships, right? I'm yeah. not going to spend a lot of time courting things. Yeah. yeah. You know, because if, if there's always other suppliers, you know, <laughs> and I walk, but I do want to know, and this is to answer the other part. I do want to spend a lot of time with the person in the very beginning part of the process because shit happens mm-hmm. in, in every business relationship. Shit, shit goes wrong. Yeah. Things probably go wrong more than they go right. So you need to know who you're going to be along the ride with. You know, is this somebody that's going to be accountable, responsible, fair? Yeah. You know, at, at least if they're honest, because sometimes things go wrong and it's both parties' fault. Mm-hmm. Well, is this going to become an argument or is it just going to be like, man, we both fucked up. Let's just, you know, figure it out. Yeah. Um, that shit, that's if it's a, I mean, if that's just me selling somebody's freaking knee sleeves, I don't give a shit. Right. Yeah. But let's say I wanted to formulate a, a supplement then no, that's not going to be this one conversation type. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot of shit that's going to go into that. Um, you mentioned learning disabilities and I, I was going to go back to your past later but might as well get into it now um what kind of learning disabilities are you talking about and when did you realize they started and the third i mean the third part of that is it's a longer question is how do you go from having learning disabilities to being so successful success is kind of like uh it's 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 a weird word to define somebody with because what what's that really mean but anyhow i get what you're saying uh probably in elementary school you know, to and just all the way going back to the first grade, I remember having tutors over the summer. I just I wasn't able to learn the same way that other people were. And even now, it, it just takes me longer, you know. And but back then it was just titled as LD was okay. what my title was. It's like, OK, this has kid has LD. He's going to need a tutor. He's going to need this. He's going to need this. And then, you know, a lot of other teachers were I mean, there's just that the other crap that goes along with that you know, you're the stupid kid, you're going to have to go learn in this classroom and all those things that kind of correspond with that. And then as I went through middle school, you, I was tracked and you're either tracked to be college, college bound, just graduate or a trait. So I was tracked as the just graduate kid. 
And it wasn't really until maybe my senior year that I had a coach that kind of intervened a little bit to basically show me that I wasn't stupid. Mm-hmm. You know, I was just not applying myself. Yeah. And, and at a certain age, you at a certain age, and this this does come back on me, but it also comes back on it still comes back on me. At a certain age, when when you're an athlete, I, I found weight training when I was 12, 13. It changed my freaking life because I went from the kid that everybody fucked with to the kid nobody fucks with anymore. <laughs> right. So yeah, that yeah. that changed a lot of things really quick. Yeah. But I also throughout that time period, I started learning that, you know what, I don't need to do homework anymore. I don't need to take my books home. Fuck, I don't even need to take my books to class. I just need to go sit there. And if I just sit there, you know, I'm going to get a C or a D because I play football. You know, so a lot of this was kind of uh, self-fulfilling, yeah. right? Because yeah. I'm like, well, what's the point? You know, why bother? But then if they're going to just kind of like take care of it, fuck it. You know, that I can still play. I, I don't get an A. I didn't care. I never got an A in my life. Yeah. You know, I get a D. But the one coach <laughs> kind of exposed the fact that you're never going to go to college unless you get at least a, a 1.6 grade point average, which is like a D. Yeah. And um, or you won't graduate. That's what scared me the most mm-hmm. is your, your grade points not high enough to graduate from high school. And it's like, holy shit, I guess I need to do something to kind of pull that together. Yeah. So that's kind of where that all came from. But I had different coaches throughout those probably my senior year, the first year that I was in college, the first year I got kicked out of college, there were some people that kind of gravitated towards me to show me that I wasn't stupid. I was just lazy. I had just had to, I had to work harder. And the cool thing with that, I understood that because that worked when I was with the weight training I was doing and the powerlifting I was doing and how it applied, the harder I worked there, the more outcome I got. Mm -hmm. So I had that to be, I don't know if that would have worked had those statements been said before I started training. I see. I so it's, that's, that's why I say training changed my life in more ways than anybody knows. What was the, did you get bullied a lot or was it more like you, did you start training because you got bullied or did you, was it just kind of like you wanted to train? No, it was because I was, yeah, I was getting the shit kicked out of me all the time. Oh. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so just flat out, that's why you started. Well, yeah, it started with wrestling, okay. right? Because I had some friends some kids down the street that were basically kicking my ass too, but they were wrestling. So I'm like, you know what, if I wrestle, at least it's a controlled environment. So I won't get the absolute shit kicked out of me, but I'll, I'll learn how to do this as well. And then through wrestling, they had a little universal machine. Then I started doing the stupid universal machine. And the crazy thing with that was, and this is probably like 12, 13, it didn't take long. And I was stacking everything on these stupid, now it's an old school universal machine, but nobody else was doing it. And I'm like, well, hell, I'm kind of good at this stuff. Yeah. You know, and then after shortly after that, I got one of those concrete weight sets that my uncle gave to me. And it was put in our basement. I trained down there stupid. I trained down there for like eight hours. <laughs> I'm just doing every exercise every day. <laughs> yeah. And then six months after that, my dad um, knew the chief of narcotics in town. So this was also a good thing because I was kind of going down a bad road at the time. And at 13 put me in there and he owned a weight room or was partial owner in a weight room, which was a powerlifting club. So put me in there. So my first experience in, in a gym was a private powerlifting gym. Okay. So they took me in 
and knew my dad. And it was like, okay, this kid's hanging out with the wrong people. He's, you know, doing the wrong things. He's doing this. He's doing this. Let's, let's teach him this. What were you, yeah. what, how old were you when you were doing those things and what were you doing? Um, 13, it wasn't drugs because I had really bad asthma and allergies. So the, the, the nurse that would give me my allergy shots told me if I ever smoked pot, I would die. Um, <laughs> she, she, obviously she was lying, but it worked. Right. Yeah. But, um, it was, it was after I started wrestling and after, um, I started the universal stuff, there was a lot of, um, just lighting school slides on fire, throwing rocks through windows, um, just stupid shit that a juvenile would do and ended up in juvenile court like three or four times, you know? So it was after all this that my dad was like, we got to do something. What was family life? Like Were you, your parents were together or divorced? Yeah, they're together. You have siblings? Yes. Yes. So I have a younger brother. My older brother and older sister were out of the house at the time. So they're, um, how many years older than I am? Like eight, 10 years older than I am. Okay. So when I hit junior high, they were out. My younger brother was still there. Um, never really had a whole lot of friends, just a close circle of friends. Um, mother and father had their own business. They worked all the time, you know? So it was a good family life. It was, I mean, it was yeah. a good family life, but it wasn't, it wasn't the way that I pressure my kids now yeah. when it comes to school and yeah. it's the shit that they're supposed to do. The work ethic was pushed on me really hard really hard. So I was delivering appliances for my dad when I was a teenager, you know, he would do shit. Like I was just talking about this this weekend, he would have um, firewood delivered mm-hmm. and they dump the shit in the bottom of the driveway on purpose. So I'd have to carry it around back, you know, and stack it and take yeah. all day. Yeah. But it, somewhere along the line, I was trained with the mindset that I'm going to start doing this and then I'm going to finish it. I'm not going to stop for lunch. I'm not going to do this. I'm just going to fucking do it until it's done that also carried over you know later in life too it just didn't carry over education at the time yeah it's weird to it's weird to make the connection though because i'm like you have a good family life you both parents in the house and teaching you work ethic but you're doing bad shit so i'm just trying to figure out where that came from is just like you started running with the just pissed off man it's you know i'm 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 still an introvert big time and i mean when you're getting your ass kicked almost every day on the way home from school you know, you're going to rebel against this crap at a certain point. Yeah. And it's just like, what am I going to do to let this shit out? You know, because I wasn't telling anybody I'm getting my ass kicked. Who does that? Yeah. You know, so it's not like I'm crying to my mom and dad about this. I had my tooth knocked out. And I said, the dog drugged me across the street mm-hmm. with the leash on my wrist and my face hit the curb and knocked mm-hmm. my tooth. I got hit in the face with a bat. Um, so it was. I, I think it was a lot of that. It's just like, you know, fuck these people. I mean, it's not like you're going to get your ass kicked and you're happy about it. Yeah. You know, you're pissed because you want to be able to kick their ass, but you're not able to do it. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think that's where a lot of that was coming from. And it, that it, it was, it was, it needed to be redirected. And I think my dad saw that and then redirecting it into powerlifting was fucking awesome Yeah, because I was able to take all that and just, you know, put it into something that, I ended up loving really fast. That was actually my next question is, do you think, and I, and I asked this to, I, I wonder this to a lot of times because it, it, it turns out to be more often than not the case. Do you think those trials and tribulations you kind of went through in those years are what helped you become so focused and so driven on being great? In Most definitely. Most definitely. A hundred percent. 
there's pros and cons, right? Yeah. So it helps with that. It helps with business. It helps with being antisocial to a certain point. It helps with business because as soon as you, I mean, at a certain point in business, you your your circle becomes really small. Yeah. You know, everybody thinks it's big, but it just becomes smaller. So if you're not comfortable with a small circle and you're used to this big, big circle, it's different. Now, the the negative part of that is the small circle. Yeah. You know, and trying to trying to conceptualize in your head how to be a real team player, especially yeah. when you when you run the team. Yeah. You know, that's that's the biggest struggle is when you're an introvert, how do you how do you become this extrovert or even fake the extrovert or at least have everybody that you're working with understand who you are and what your personality is because they'll take a lot of things the wrong way just because how I carry myself, how I look, you know, so how you look, you know, even the way that you are, right. You walk into a room, you're bald, you're fucking jacked, right. You walk into a room, you demand attention immediately. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that tension is not good. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So the first thing that comes out of your mouth is either going to justify what they think or make them think that's the coolest fucking big dude I ever met. That's so far. I think that all the time, you know that? Yeah. So you gotta be really aware it's crazy you said that because I'll even like uh, at the grocery store, for example, I'll joke with the, I know this is totally different, mm-hmm, different, mm-hmm. but at the grocery store, I'll joke with the cashier behind the cash register just randomly. Mm-hmm. And my wife will be like, well, why'd you do that? Like, why, like, what, what was that for? And I'm like, because she's probably scared of me. Yes. So I'm like, I'm trying to make her feel more comfortable. And yes. it's, I'll do that with waitresses and whatever. And I, I don't mean in a flirtatious way. I just mean like a, kind of put i feel like i have to put people at ease you do yeah. and it's true and, and it's yeah. a hard thing to to always be conscious about because just say you're running into the grocery store to pick some shit up right mm-hmm. just you're walking in you've had a bad day just you know it's just not a good you're just being normal yeah. right your normal is going to make everybody think what that fucking guy's all pissed about <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> right and sometimes it's like you know what i don't give a fuck but you can't be conscious a hundred percent of the time, yeah. but you need to be conscious around certain areas, certain situations. You need to be, just need to be self-aware of it. Mm-hmm. And, but it's impossible to think you're always going to be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you said something about a small circle in business. I wanted to know, how do you feel about that? Because I've actually started to starting to realize that now that things get really, really tight and it becomes just a few select people that you can, bounce mm-hmm. things off of on a regular basis and that did you have a larger group like when you were training at west side or you were mm-hmm. when you were like a you know the top of the game in powerlifting did you have a large circle that became smaller or were you always just a s- small circle kind of person well when i was at west i'd say there's 20 some people that are training there i mean i knew all those 20 people but out of those 20 people i still didn't have a, i didn't have a small circle there there might have been one or two but a lot of it is it's probably not my personality type to have a large circle anyhow like i'm not the guy that's going to go out to the bar so i'm not the guy that's going to go to a party or if somebody's having a halloween party i i don't want to go yeah it's just yeah. that's just not me but the other aspect of that is time you know and i don't like to say i don't have the time because a busy person can always find the time right if they really want to i just don't want to find the time i got I mean, when you have your own businesses, as you know, I mean, you start work when you get up taking a shit and you're looking at your emails. 
Yeah. You know, you end work before you go to bed and you just look at your last email. You work all the time, yeah. you know, and then if you have a, a spouse, significant other or whatever, there's that time. And then there's your training. Like mm -hmm. what the hell else is left? Yeah. yeah. There's not a whole lot of time left. So, and if there is, then, you know, sometimes I just rather fucking watch Netflix than to deal with some idiot in a gym. Yeah. <laughs> you know so that's my choice then, yeah you know I, so I, I said that to a friend of mine we got together on the weekend for a barbecue he said hey man how can and he's, a, he's a closer friend he said hey man how come we don't hang out so much anymore i'm like honestly man i'm running all day long and like me and my wife shut down around nine o'clock at night we like spend two hours together before i go to bed and when i have a free day sometimes i just want to sit on the couch and mm -hmm. i don't want i don't want to entertain anybody i don't want to like I don't want, I just want to veg right out when I have time to actually veg right out. Well, it's, so. it's a crazy thing too, right? Because so you go someplace to, to do what other people do, I would assume, right? Like yeah. a party somewhere of a friend or yeah. the conversation with you, you know, or with me, it always drifts to exactly what you don't want to talk about your fucking work, the shit that you talk about all the time. Yeah. You know, they want to know about training. They want to know about all this. And I understand it. I get it, you know, but I'm not asking them about their fucking tire job. You know, I'm not asking <laughs> them about, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. I don't ask them about their management employees yeah. and all this stuff, but, but it's, go ahead. Do you feel, sorry, do you feel bad talking about your stuff? No, because I understand where, you know, kind of why they're interested and why it is. And I think we've all learned over the years that, when it comes to, you know, other people asking you for advice, like, Hey, you know, how do I put on weight? How do I get bigger? You're going to give them as much of an answer as you know, they're going to apply. That's true. Right. But, Just but eat I, more. You know? but, but I don't mean it that way. I mean, like, yeah. if you're, let's say you're sitting around with like uh, three or four of your closest friends. Mm -hmm. If the topic turns to diet or training or even. Oh, yours, that's different. That's different. If it's my closest friends, then it's, we're all talking about you. Yeah, yeah. I get that. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. fine. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Fine. Okay. Yeah. I'm talking when you're with like friends of friends or say yeah. your, your wife's got a party. She wants you to go to, which you yeah. don't want to go to for sure. <laughs> you know, it, that's, that just, you know, that just yeah. validates why you don't want to go. And her friend's husband is like, so what do I do in the gym? And you're like, yes, oh. yeah, exactly. <laughs> now when with you're with your friends, it's a good yeah. time. You just bust an ass and yeah, no, yeah. that's always fun. That's, that's valuable time to me. Okay. Um, you said something about measuring success. How do you measure success? I, I, I'm so metric oriented. So I don't even worry about that because I guess that, you know, somebody asked me this a couple of years ago and the way that I've always kind of been answering it is, and it wasn't success. It was legacy. Like how would you define a legacy? And to me, the way that I've always looked at that is, um, if you, I assume that you've been to a funeral, right? So you go to the wake, right? Yeah. So not the, the visitation. So you're not, not the funeral, but the visitation. So you go into the visitation, but then there's, there's like three different layers of people. There's the people up by the coffin that their life has now changed forever. They're, and say you're in the coffin, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> their life has changed forever. Probably not a day is going to go by. They're not going to think about you in one way or another, right? Those people, that's a small number of people. Yeah. you know, that are there. Then you got the people that are right where the chairs start. They're like hanging out there. They're there to support your people. Mm -hmm. Those people at the front, right there. They're there 
basically for that reason. Then you start moving back in the room and you got a lot of people who are like, well, how long do you think we really should be hanging? And we've been those people too. So <laughs> I'm not criticizing them. Like, how long should we stay here? Yeah. You know, my condolences. And it's still a, it's still a tip of a hat of respect, right? Of course, yeah. <laughs> and then you got the people that aren't even in the room, yeah. right? So they're not there. They're the people posting shit online, you know, my condolences, whatever it's going to be. <laughs> people spend too much time worrying about the people that aren't even in the room, right? Yeah. Spending their life trying to appease the people that won't even be in the room and not enough time focus on the people that are right next to them in the coffin. But how do you, how do you mean that? Can you explain that a little further? And they spend way too much time worrying about people, yeah. critics and other people's opinion, trying to appease people that when you're gone, aren't going to give a fuck. Okay. Maybe they'll hit a like button. Maybe, maybe they'll write a little statement. Maybe they're not in the room. I see what you're saying. Right. Yeah. The people's closest yeah. to yeah. that coffin, the ones that are going to remember you for the rest of your life, that's how you determine your success. What are they going to think okay. when it's all over, right? That's, that's yeah, that's, that's my very, measure. That's a very deep version of like, I've never actually heard success defined that way, to be honest with you. And I have thought of that because I remember when my father passed away, <clears throat> the, um, I don't know, I don't know if you want to call it the eulogy or I don't, mm -hmm. I don't, I don't think it was a eulogy. It was kind of before that, but uh, my brother kind of read a speech about him and the, the way people spoke about him, I was like, well, that's kind of the way I want people to think about me when I'm gone. Mm -hmm. But is that, does that, is that success or is that, that's more legacy? Like you said, right? So I don't even think any of that matters. I think what matters are the people that are going to think of you every single day. Yeah. I mean, you still think about your dad. You just brought him up. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, so how, you know, those relationships that are closest, should define how successful you really are because if you're treating those people that are closest like shit all the time or you're not there for them and they're not there for you and granted there's always adversity sure. you know I, I, let's that that's there what i'm trying to say is that too many people are spending so much time trying to worry about getting people in the room right yeah even the people that they get in the room say they take the people that have never been in the room but then they're going to show up and be in the room they're still not going to be at the front of the room they're going to be the ones wondering what time the restaurant's going to open so they can leave yeah 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 right so to me that's how i look at success now the metrics I, at the very beginning i said i have a lot of metrics sure like sales are a metric right number of customers are a metric you know those are all things that matter right so but, but Sorry to interrupt you. Those are success. That's success more in business. But I mean, like, do you have a personal success? Like, for example, when I was growing up, I always thought to myself, and the, and the, the goalposts move, right? Like, yeah. when I was growing up, I thought, well, once I have a house, that will mean I'm successful. Once I have a wife, that will mean I'm successful. Once I have uh, a house, a wife, and a car, and a kid, I'm successful. Like, where's the personal success for you? Like, where's the bar where you're like, you know what? I think I did well and I've made it like, I'm, I, yeah, I, it's, it's, a, it's probably a little bit lower bar than other people are going to have because keep in mind, you know, I, I grew up not, I already kind of talked about my upbringing. So my, my house that I live in now is paid off. Right. So to me, that's kind of like my personal success because like, yeah. I am paranoid more so than probably any business owner that I know that three months from now, I will be out of business. And it's yeah. been that way for 22 years, right? So if that happens, 
and I'm going to be out of business or shit's going to happen. It's all going to be over. Am I still going to have a place to live? Like, yeah. am I going to have a car to drive? Like, will I be able to survive going back and being a personal trainer again? So your, that, de- so your definition of success is almost survival. It is. Huh. It is. So it's not, it, it's, it's not right. Like I try to change it. You know what I'm saying? Like I should aspire to try to be more, but I'm so, I don't want to go. I, I was poor as fuck. I don't want to go back to that ever again. No, it's ever not, again. I don't think that's bad at all. Mm-hmm. I, I just, uh, it's an interesting way to think about it. So where does that, where does that not spending any money or making sure your stuff's paid off or making sure if everything disappears, where does that come from? Just from I don't know. I don't, I don't know. How, I don't when, know. when you say you were poor growing up, how poor were you? Well, that's, it was after leaving the house. So I was, okay. my, 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 my upbringing was very, very good. Right. Okay. But I was also brought up in a way it was a middle-class upbringing. I was brought up in a way that when you leave the house, you leave the house. Yeah. Right. Which I could not imagine. I mean, kids are 16 or my kids are 17 and 18. I couldn't imagine that now. Right. And it's, yeah. now, does that mean I suck as a parent? I don't know. These are like the battles you have as a parent. Yeah. You know, I turned 18. It's like, you ain't coming back here. You got to figure it out. Did they, did they tell you to leave or did you leave? Like, which is it your choice? Was, or their well, choice? I, went, I went on to college, but it was pretty much you're not coming back. You know, here you go. <laughs> you're out. This is what you got. Yeah. You know, and it's like, okay, fuck, I need to figure it out. Yeah. And it was different back then. You know, I could work, you know, a couple jobs, still pay for school. I don't know if kids can do that anymore. The yeah. price of tuition is so high. It's just impossible. Yeah. So, but even with that, so it was, I mean, it was counting change to pay the rent and this was for, you know, years and stuff like that. And it sucked, you know, having a, you know, I God, one of the biggest successes I ever had and thinking back on this was to be able to go to the grocery store and not need a fucking calculator. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's the food, yeah. right. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like, if I could just, I, I remember thinking, I, I'll never forget shit like this. It would be so fucking nice if I could just come in here, buy my fucking chicken breast, buy the beef, buy the milk, buy everything that I need to buy and just not have to worry about it. When did, when did that happen? You know what? It's inter- I'm, so, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, no. I paused. I paused. I paused for a second there because I think every bodybuilder, you know, unless you come from a super well-off family, every bodybuilder has been there to some extent. Mm-hmm. So that's why I paused for a minute. It's like crazy, I, I, man. I, I flash back to when I was like 21 and I'm like, yeah. Well, see, things it. advance too, because I'm like, God damn, are the tenders just as good as the breasts because they're cheaper? <laughs> and, you know, back then it's like, I can't not have the breast. I need That's the right. breast, you right. know, because you didn't know. That's and, right. Um, so I was going to yeah. ask you what point, how old were you when you could finally walk in and not look at the price? At it the was a couple years, a couple years after it came, it was probably a year and a half after I came to Westside, I got a job as a personal trainer. And from there, I was able to apply a lot of the sales skills, a lot of the business skills. I didn't even know I learned growing up in a house of of parents that owned a small business and uh, both their parents on each side owned small businesses too. So I was able to apply a lot of the things I didn't know I knew. And so I was able to get my my billable hours up pretty quick. And then once it got up, you know, it became a, a, a more comfortable life to not have to worry about that. And there were some times when I was in college when I was bouncing that the tips made it so I didn't have to worry so much about that. What um you keep you kind of mentioned this a few times. What qualities do you think were the main ones that you picked up from your childhood that have really, really helped you 
when you got to West Side or as you've progressed in your life? What are the qualities that people should be looking for in themselves, I guess, is more what I'm what I really want to know, because there's people watching this that are trying to get ahead in life and don't know how to. They may have the qualities, but they don't know how to apply them. Hard work. You know, hard hard work is a key thing, right? Where I always go to hard work first before I go to consistency, right? Because consistency is another very important thing. But if we think back to, we all know those people that you've seen in the gym for years. They're super consistent. They're there four or five days a week all the time. You know, they never miss and they, they look like shit. They, they never seem to progress. They look exactly the same. They're yeah. the most consistent people I've ever seen. So obviously consistency is not the key. That's if true. it was, they would at least have some triceps. They would have something, yeah. traps, something, yeah. and, but they don't. So the hard work plays into that. You need both, but the hard work plays in there. So it's going to be consistent hard work. Because we also know the people that will go in the gym and they'll bust their ass once every couple of weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or they bust their ass so hard they can't train for the rest of the week. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's kind of that, that modulation of consistency and hard work. Mm -hmm. But what I don't think people understand is the level of consistency and the time of consistency it takes for anything. If it's a relationship, if it's a business, if it's bodybuilding. They also think they work hard, but they don't. That's true. You know, but then they get around other people that work harder and that's a reality check. Mm-hmm. So I think the biggest takeaway is even for us is to always be looking for those people that are more consistent than we are and that work harder than we are because people typically think they're already at the pinnacle. Yeah. But you got to remember, you thought that too when you were in 12th grade. You thought that too, you know, three years before you turned pro, mm-hmm. you know, but it changed every single time you, and then when you meet that next person, you realize this isn't the only fucker that does this. Everybody he knows is that way. Yeah. You know, so you got to keep working that way. What, uh, how do you, how do you measure how you're working hard enough? Because I've, this is always something I've said as well. And I'm like, and I know, other, if you can't find that person to be around, that mm-hmm. will show. That will show you. Is there a way that you can tell if you're working hard enough? And do you personally struggle with feeling like you're never working hard enough? Well, I think the way is. I think the question's a little. I think it needs to be a better question. Is there a way to know when you when you work too much, you break, right? So you you, you know where the threshold is. It's when you break, yeah. right? So in training. If you start overreaching, you start pushing it too hard, something breaks or you can't sleep. You're starting to, you're starting to see that you're overreaching. So then the first course of action, right. Is to look at the nutrition, look at the rest. What can we do to be able to keep firing at these levels? And sometimes that's enough to be able to change it. We don't do that in life though. Mm -hmm. Like, so if you're working hard in life and then you be, you start to notice that you're overreaching, you can't focus the way that you need to focus. Um, you just don't want to do things. You know, people need to understand we all don't want to do things. Yeah. Right. It's, it's, but you still do them. Mm-hmm. But there becomes a point where you don't even want to do what you don't want to do because then you start. Doing, so when things break, that's when you know that you've over, you're doing too much. Okay. So right. When you, now, 
when you've gone too far, you can't focus, you can't do the thing anymore. That's when you need to step back. Yeah, that's when you step back and reassess though. Like with the bodybuilding, you step back and when you reassess, you're looking at sleep, you're looking at nutrition, you're looking at supplementation. I mean, you're looking at all these other variables, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? And then you adjust from that. And you might think, you know what? This has not been where it needs to be. I need to fix that. Or it's, you know what? I'm just doing too fucking much. Yeah. I need to, I need to, you know, deload or whatever you want to call it. Right. So that's how you manipulate it. So, you know, the answer, because you did it for bodybuilding to keep moving up and up and up. And sometimes you have to go back to be able to move up. Yeah. So with business, it's like, okay, when's the best time to be able to move back? Do I, you know, stop pushing on this project, dial it back just a little bit and push this project instead and then come back here or what you can do in business, which you can't do in bodybuilding. Is it now time to delegate this project to somebody else, find somebody else who can, who can do this and it doesn't stress them out. Yeah. Yeah. You know, cause they like that, but you still got to be around those other people because overall that, that whole system for most of us needs to come up. Okay. Do you yourself, and this, this is something I struggle with is I never feel like I'm doing enough or the things I'm doing don't feel like they're good enough. All the time. Yeah, right. All the time. Is it a personality? Is it a personality trait or what is it? I don't know. I just what I find most common is everybody I talk to who's honest says the same thing. You know, it, we, it's always like this weird ass feeling of inadequacy. Yeah. It's like, why in the fuck is this taking me so long? Like, why don't I know this? And then it's like, well, fuck. You know, why doesn't anybody? It's, it's the same thing. But I mean, but I mean, look, if you, like you said, you're like, you like metrics, right? Mm -hmm. So if you look at your business and you're doing well and everything's going well and month after month, your, your profits are increasing or whatever, <clears throat> you would, it, it would, it would make sense that you would feel satisfied with your workload and work ethic. <laughs> no. That's what I mean though. So it doesn't make sense. <laughs> so that's what I'm trying to say is it doesn't make sense because if you look at metrics, you should be happy, but we're not happy. No, so, I'm not. I, I would even go as far as to say, I will find a way if it's going too well, I, I find fucked up ways to self-sabotage it. <laughs> we're the same, we're like the same person. Why? Uh, I why, don't know. Why do you, you tell me and I'll stop doing it. <laughs> I, I don't know. But I, yeah. the, the older I get, the more aware I become of it. That's and it's right. like, no, God damn it. Like, why am I doing this? So what I've done is I start to put people around me that won't be afraid to tell me things I don't want to hear. Like when, when you run the show, people that you're employing are going to be less inclined to want to say things that they think's opposite of what you want. Yeah. Right. I want to hear those things because I don't have to do what they say. Yeah. I just want to hear it. So if my brain is saying, you know what, the other thing I have is if something's not moving in the direction, I think it needs to move in. And it's costing money. I'm like, fucking, we're stopping this, right? It, it, maybe it needs more time to be able to grow or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. But I have no problem saying we are reallocating this money now, yeah. you know, into something else. I will pull that plug sometimes way too soon. Sometimes yeah. I'll leave it engaged way too long. Yeah. So I got to have those people around to be able to give me that other side. I see. What, did you have that same, do you think that same mentality is what drove you to be the best at powerlifting? I was never the best. So I would say it put me in the top 10%. But is that, right? but is that mentality of I'm not good enough or I'm not doing enough? 
was that the same mentality that drove you to be at, at the top of the game? Yes, but it was also self-defeating too, because I never thought I was good enough to be the absolute best. It's interesting you said that. Do you think, do you think that even though it was a positive in making you great, it was a negative and if you couldn't believe fully that you could be the best, that's what might have held you back? Definitely. Definitely. Because yeah. I would always look at, so we have a, we had a top 100, right? Yeah. So I'd always look at that. And there's always a couple of people that are way up there that are just freaks. Yeah. You know, usually number one, number two, usually number one is just the outlier, just a fucking freak. Yeah. And it's like, I'm, I'm never that. I'm not going to be that. So yeah. what's 10? What's five? Like, where can I get? Now, was that self-defeating? Maybe, you know, it wasn't, you know, I don't have the genetics. You see what I'm saying? Even me by yeah. saying I don't have the genetics, is that self-defeating? That's right. You know, is it realistic? You know, what, what is it, right? So I don't, I don't know, but I know that all, everything except that, that one little bit came from what you're talking about, you know, that never satisfied drive type push. Because to me, I could always kind of justify why I can't be the absolute best. I could never justify but why. You knew- I, Sorry, yes. go ahead. Sorry, go I, ahead. Could, I can never justify why I can't be on the same stage, why I can't be on the same platform. I could never justify that ever. Because for me to just, in my mind, for me to justify that was going to have me leaving a sport, asking myself, what if? And those two words drive me fucking insane. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. Especially looking back on life, because if you got to sit there and say, what if, then you didn't fucking try hard enough. Yeah. But you should never say that. I, I agree with you 100 percent. But and the only reason I'm going down this road is because I have a, a very similar mentality in my own bodybuilding career. Mm-hmm. And it, I always find it interesting that. Looking at it, looking at it now, you know, being done with the sport, I look back and I go did I stop myself from being in the top six at the Olympia or top 10 at the Olympia by telling myself I wasn't supposed to be? If I was to answer that question for me in powerlifting, my answer would be, yes, I did. So where was the highest level? Where, what was the highest level you achieved in powerlifting? Um, if you said the top 100, where were you on that list? It gets a little grainy because before the, before the internet, right. We had powerlifting USA. And there was a top 100 listing. What they did is they combined the 308 class and the super heavyweights. The reason I'm saying this is if you were to take the 308s and have their own class, my squat at one point in time would have been second. Okay. Right. So now with the supers, it's usually falling in the top 10, you know, top 15, 275 is kind of in the same range. Total wise was kind of in there as well. Mm -hmm. But the squat was what was ranked the highest. No, the younger I was, you know, I don't count team numbers and stuff like that, but my team numbers were through the roof. Um, but I only competed as a teenager one freaking time. So that doesn't, you know, mean a whole lot. But I came out of high school with a 520 raw bench. So that that's kind of where that was. But I do think though, when I do remember when I hit my biggest squats, because the the, at that time, there weren't many people squatting a thousand, very, very few, maybe a handful, less, definitely less than 10. But I do remember after I squatted 
the ninth, nine forty, I believe it was. It was kind of, it was kind of easy. Okay. And that day, I, that's when that day was when I really thought, you know what? I think I could have probably done nine seventy. Yeah. Which isn't that far away from getting close to the best of the best. Have I shortcut myself? Yeah. Right. And that realization didn't fucking come to me until two years before injuries put me out. Yeah. That's what I think back on and think, you know what, that just like you said, was this more me than I thought it was? And I, I do believe it was. It's funny though. Cause it's all you like, yeah, I know <laughs> the, the, it's like, it's like the fucked up nature gets you to that place, but then mm-hmm. that same fucked up nature holds you back. That's why only the truly, truly, truly great ones or genetics aside, they yeah. still have this. Yeah. They're still dealing that same battle that we're talking about. Yeah. And they're winning it. Are so they? Genetic, though? I don't know. I, I have to say they are. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think <laughs> I they don't are. Know. I, I thought, don't know. I've thought of this. I know because I've thought of this and I don't <laughs> think they are. I think when you get, I mean, I don't know. It'd be crazy. Maybe I, I'd get them on the show one day, but mm-hmm. I think when you get a Ronnie Coleman or a Phil Heath, I think their belief in themselves is probably so much higher that there is no limitation for them. It could be, it could be because you, you got to look at the trajectory too. Like if they come in and then, boom, you know, it's win, 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 win. And that's really all they kind of see, mm. you know, then they're not, they still have ups and downs. Everybody well, has ups and downs. Well, it's two different. It's funny. They said that though, cause it's two different trajectories. You know, Ronnie was, mediocre for a while yeah before, before he finally mm-hmm. took off took off whereas phil on the other hand walked in and you know not well keep in mind when ronnie took off he took off yeah yeah you he know? was gone. So, yeah, yeah it was yeah but i so just he may not have had that let's say ego right in a positive way yeah he may yeah. not have had that ego until things start taking off then yeah. it was like holy cow i'm unstoppable yeah it is it's the psychology aspect super is very super interesting to me because yeah. we control that that's what's even more interesting to me i that's how i am too. <laughs> when i sit back and think of my career i don't think of the x's and o's i think of the intangibles that you can't measure yes and i'm like how did that affect where i was on stage how did that affect where i how many times i competed that year or where i ended up at that show or blah 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 mm-hmm. and how much how many how many times did I shoot myself in the foot? Mm-hmm. Right. And I don't think it's people, interesting. Yeah. People are like, Oh, it's that coach's fault or it's because that guy cheats on his diet or they never take the intangible and say, wait a minute, maybe he just didn't know he had it. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah, that's an interesting, it's funny. It's just very interesting to me that you think that because I think, you know, people would look at your record and you were at the top of the game for so long. I would have never thought that you had that thought process. Yeah. All the time, all the time. What you know, I, I can remember being in the warm-up rooms of you know nationals and wondering what the hell I'm even doing there. <laughs> nobody, nobody would, nobody would look at your career and think that. No, but I, I think if if most people are honest, most of the people that are in those rooms think the same thing. I mean, a handful probably don't, but I don't think most people are actually transparent about what they actually goes on in their head. Yeah, you know, so. I don't give a shit. So that goes back to, I don't want to keep track of my lives. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, I want to get into the powerlifting bit for a minute. Um, yeah. Just because, just because. Um, so you started young 
and you took off. You said in high school you were mm-hmm. so you knew right away you were strong and you were stronger than everybody else. I knew there was something going on. I, even when when I was wrestling using the universal machine, and I was able to be so much stronger than everybody else, there was. I didn't put one and one together, but when I got into the powerlifting gym and started training there, I don't, I don't ever remember benching 315. You know, like a lot of people, that's a big milestone. Yeah. yeah I don't even remember that being, it was just always, I'm thinking back, you know, granted it's a long time ago. It was just always, it was never a problem. That was like a training weight. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, I really don't even remember 405 in the bench that much. It's just like, whatever. It's just is what it is. Now today for me to do it, it's fucking hard. You know, it's a whole, <laughs> it's a whole different thing. It yeah. fucks with my head a lot. Yeah. But so that was part of it, you know, so obviously there was a genetic component, but there was also a component that I had guys there showing me technically how to do all these lifts and how to train. Yeah. You know, I didn't know anything. I read the muscle magazines the same way everybody else did, but I never read those things because muscle and fitness flex and stuff. They had very little powerlifting information. Yeah. I never read those things and thought, oh, I want to do that. Mm-hmm. I read it kind of like, this is cool. They do something different than what I do, but it's kind of the same genre. It's interesting, but maybe someday I'll do this stuff. Yeah. You know, so it never, I would never read anything and then go do it. Because I had to stick to the plan. I had to stick to my practice or whatever you want to call that. And that I think had a big, big role in it as well, because it was periodized from the very beginning. It was structured from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. I was taught from the very beginning of how these things are supposed to work, what's important, what's not. And then every time I competed, I got stronger. And it only got weird when I started to get stronger than the guys in the gym. Yeah. And that's when the dream, you know, gym drama and stuff. I didn't know what that, now I know what it is, you know, years later, looking back, I started to know what it was, you know, people, they start to feel weird when you get better than what they are. And yeah. So you think that your friends until you start getting better than they're no longer your friends or. Well, they're, they're, they're your like mentors or whatever you, I don't want to say yeah. coaches. Cause they're like, we all train in the same group. Yeah. They just, they don't help as much after a certain point. And you're like, well, what did I do? You know, and it's like, well, fuck them. I'll figure it out on my own. Yeah. You know, so I'll drive to Toledo. I'll meet with this guy. I'll go here. So I started traveling around, hooking up with better lifters that I would meet in warm up rooms. You know, yeah. people like Louis Simmons and, you know, Larry Pacifico and stuff like that. I'm like, well, fuck, they're not that far away. I'll just go see them. Yeah. You know, and so I, I found out pretty quick, you know, how that whole thing works. And it's not everybody. I mean, every, anybody that's, grew up in gyms knows what I'm talking about. It's not everybody. Most people are supportive, Yeah. but you learn, I learned real quick to just devalue the opinion of the people who are jealous. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so you, just, yeah. So is that how you found, um, West side? Yeah. Yeah. Louie was, Louie was a guy. It was, was always helping people in the warm up room. So when I was, I competed a lot as a kid. So it was like every eight to 12 weeks, I was doing another meet, you know, so it was a continual cycle. He was always willing to give advice, unsolicited advice, but I didn't give a shit. You know, I didn't know what I was doing. So he's always willing to give advice. So I didn't know him per se by name or was making phone calls for years. He was just, I always knew I could ask him questions in the warm up room or if I saw him in the meet in Ohio was a big powerlifting state. So there are other people, yeah. you know, like him that were all the same way. And all the lifters back then were the same way. When I got into college, 
I took a few years to try this bodybuilding thing. Uh, Cause I did, I was watching the mag, you know, and I never had a gym. I went to a gym that had machines and shit. I'm like, this is what I need to get big. Right. Yeah. And I didn't know. And so I did that for a few years and went from 242 to 275, put on, you know, a lot of muscle, enough muscle to go up a weight class. And uh, then when I came back in powerlifting, Louis was a, my debut comeback meet, I guess you could say. And I totaled like 240 pounds less at a weight class higher with yeah. way more muscle. Yeah. And he came up and he said, what the hell you've been doing? And he's like, you're big as hell. And what happened? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, I yeah. don't understand this. I'm like, I can do repetitions at eight. I think I squatted um, 640 at the time. And my best squat was 720. And before I, I in that, I could squat 600 for like 15. I mean, I don't know what the fuck is going on. Yeah. And so he starts with his dynamic effort bullshit and all this. The first time I'm hearing all this, I'm like, you're out of your fucking mind. That's when he said, you need to start coming out, you know, drive down on the weekends and I'll show you what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. That's when that relationship started to bond. Before we skip before we skip yeah. over the bodybuilding, what, what was your, why you had done a bunch of powerlifting stuff already. Why did you try the bodybuilding and why did you quit? Not quit, well, but why, why was well, it not, not interesting to you? Some of it was when I went to, I, I went to a few different universities. So when I went from Tiffin University to Bowling Green, I couldn't find a gym that had powerlifters. Mm -hmm. So the only hardcore gym I could find was called Hard Bodies. And the owner of the gym, his name was Rick Villarreal, who was, I, I think he did turn pro as a bantamweight or something like that, or a lightweight. And then another guy in there, his name was Vince Rinaldi, and they both trained super hard. Both uh, Vince won the Mr. Ohio, I believe, did decent in the nationals. And um, they, the, the, the group they were in trained hard. And I like training hard more than I like the sport. Yeah. So I jumped in and started training with them just because it was hard. And then they started saying, you know what? You're not that fat. I'm 242 at the time. Mm -hmm. I kind of had abs, you know, for what it was worth. I wasn't like a 308 powerlifter. Yeah. And maybe you should try this bodybuilding thing. Well, what the hell do I need to do? I don't know what I need to do. Yeah. I, I don't do this shit. And so then Vince became my roommate for a couple of years. So that's kind of why it stuck there. Cause I did the first show mm -hmm. and I didn't do well. No. I mean, I like last, I mean, I didn't, I ate fucking Oreos. I cheated on my diet so all the time. Oh, you were just fat on stage. I was just, yeah, I was just, I wasn't super <laughs> fat, but I wasn't fucking lean either. So yeah. <laughs> I deserved the placing. And then they kind of had this intervention. I'm like, I don't like this. And okay. like, well, you don't like it. Cause you just got your ass kicked. I'm like, no, I don't like the competitive aspect. I'm used to like getting fired up and tearing into a weight. I don't like this. Yeah. And they're like, well, you don't like it because you suck. And then that made me mad. I'm like, that's not it, fuckers. Yeah. You know, so I did another show, indicted for that one, and then won that show. And then remember being on stage and then looking out, and all I saw just a bunch of dudes in boat neck fucking sweatshirts. And, yeah. you know, and I'm like, what the, what the fuck? I'm used to squatting a big weight and like people standing up. I'm like, this is stupid yeah. as fuck. Yeah. So and I was supposed to do the Ohio three weeks later. And then the funny story with this is Vince comes to pick me up in the morning 
to go to the gym and there's fucking Oreos and shit. I'm in a diabetic coma because I just <laughs> ate shit all night long. And he come in and he's like, well, I guess the Ohio's out of the question. Yeah. I'm like, no, this stuff sucks. Just like I told you before. Yeah. yeah I, I just, it's not my thing. I need to go back into powerlifting. You know what? It's not crazy. You say that it, it, a yeah. lot of, a lot of us like myself included, a lot of us kind of bodybuild because we love to train and the bodybuilding thing is secondary kind of, for me anyways, it was to make, make a living. So I could train. Yeah. I, yeah. I just, I just want to get paid to work out. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like the competitive aspect is kind of cool, but it's the training aspect. That's my favorite part of it. So it's not strange what you're saying. Now, outside of the, I love doing heavy singles, you know, like max effort yeah. work yeah. outside of that, the bodybuilding training, I love that way more than the accessory and supplemental training for powerlifting yeah. because it's so repetitious. And it's just like, it, it's just the shit that you have to do to be able to get your lifts up yeah. with the bodybuilding training. It was way more fun. Yeah. Way more fun, you know, and, and, and way easier to um, manipulate the variables to be able to keep training. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it was easier for me to avoid overreaching bodybuilding. Yeah. Yeah. Because it, you can just auto regulate the volume based upon how you feel. Mm-hmm that becomes more problematic if you're trying to peak for a powerlifting meet. Yeah. Cause after a certain point, it is what it is. Yeah. We're over the hour. Do you mind sticking around for a little no, bit? I'm good. I'm good. Okay. Um, I want to ask you, so you, when you were done bodybuilding, you said you went back and Louis Simmons did something called dynamic effort, dynamic effort training. Is that what well, he was talking to me about it? Right. Okay. So, and at that time, I also got to a point where I quit reading Powerlifting USA. So I didn't even know he was writing articles about this stuff yeah. and any of that crap. So the one thing that I always tried to do when I was competing is I would reduce my inputs. So if I was bodybuilding, I wasn't reading any bodybuilding magazines. Here's my plan. Here's what I'm doing. I, websites were not a, you know, it wasn't yeah. a thing. So yeah. So I just re I just reduced my stimulus. So I went and talked to other people that would have ideas. Here's the plan. Here's what we're doing. We're going to regulate that powerlifting the same way. Once the cycle started, the training cycle started, I'm not talking to anybody about training cycles. I'm not talking about this. I'm not talking about that. This is staying where it's going to stay. So after the meet, Louie would start talking about this stuff. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. So that was his basically West side protocol, which is dynamic method, max effort, repetition, and it made sense. I was going to school for these things. So it made sense to me. The dynamic stuff didn't really make sense. Mm-hmm. So it took a while for me to get in the weeds far enough to be able to see what he was talking about, yeah. just to validate it, you know, because it wasn't being written about. I mean, I had to go back into old Soviet sport reviews to even find anything close to what he was talking about. And then it was all plyometric. And I'm like, okay, I can see this, but I can't really see what he's talking about. So can, um, can you, can you give me a, like a summary of what it might have? So people listening, like, what was it? Or for myself, I, I don't know. What okay. It was. All right. So let's say if I was training my bench, just using a progressive scale of starting with fives, going to threes and singles, you know, I wasn't doing, I, if I was benching 540 or whatever at the meet, my cycle starting with like 315 for eights and then 365 and very few weeks am I doing anything really under 365. Yeah. He's sitting here telling me shit like you need to bench 315 for eight sets of three and push the weight as fast as you can with short rest periods. And I'm like, that's interval training, man. Yeah. That ain't going to make me fucking strong. 
How's yeah. that going to make me strong? I need this progressive overload. I need the stimulus. So that was kind of the battle. And he's like, no, you don't need that. That's what the other days are for. I'm okay. like, well, then, so what is this technique training? Because can I just do that with 135? Yeah. You know, like, why do I? And so I wasn't putting this, you know, explosive, you know, putting as much force, compensatory acceleration into the bar. I wasn't understanding that. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't clicking with me because I was naturally very explosive. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it wasn't ringing. I wasn't a grinder. Now, when he was saying the max effort stuff, you need to become better at lifting maximum weights. That made sense because it's, okay. you know, usually that's only going to be the last three or four weeks of the training cycle where the loads are really high mm-hmm. to where you have to be able to focus on stabilizing the load before you go down, letting the weight settle, all these other things, especially with the heavier weight. Because a lot of those weights, when you first take them out, feel like you're not able to lift them. Yeah. That's just part of it. And, um, that made sense, but the dynamic stuff is just like, nah, I don't, I don't get this. And, but once I started going up there, it started to click a little bit, it laid a little bit more sense, but it didn't click totally until after I moved, Mm -hmm. when I graduated and then moved to Westside, it still took me about a year because I wasn't training in his crew per se, just because I was working temporary jobs because the hours I was working, I had to train in the afternoon with a couple other guys and I just kept doing my own shit and I was going nowhere again, which is why I went there is because I was going nowhere and just kept getting hurt. So I think we all have this ceiling somewhere, Mm -hmm. right? And the closer you get to that ceiling is when injuries start to happen. Right now, my professors were telling me the same thing. And I'm like, well, in my mind, I'm like, I get what you're saying. We all have some kind of limit, some type of ceiling, but damn it, if I just put my best numbers together, it's over my ceiling. Yeah. So if anything, I should just be able to put my best shit together, you know, and and still be better. Right. So yeah. even in bodybuilding, if you took your best looks over all these years, but were able to put it together at one time, yeah. that's still better than other people are going to say your best. Yeah. yeah. So don't tell me I hit. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. And um, so <laughs> with that, you know, Louie, I got to a point at Westside where Basically, he was telling me either do what I'm telling you to do or get the hell out of here. And I'd already moved the I think a big difference with gyms today compared to many years ago is I kind of had to do what he said, because where else was I going to go? There was nowhere else in Columbus, maybe some dude's basement. Now there's 25 other powerlifting gyms. Right. So where I grew, I've only trained in five gyms in my whole life. So if I had a personality problem with somebody and I wanted to power lift, I had to work it out Mm. where now if somebody has a problem, they just go to a different gym. I heard that about Westside. I heard, I heard that you had to kind of either train in the morning or train at night. And it depended Mm -hmm. on who you got along with. Well, that an hour work, right? I mean, Louis, Louis, he he plays with people's minds. Okay. So there was this afternoon crew, but I think he dissolved it because none of us were really doing that well because he wasn't there and we didn't have the same push. We didn't have the social push that you're getting from the other two environments. Mm-hmm. And so from there, I changed my work schedule so I could train in the morning and then was there for the next 10 years or whatever it was. And my total went up 250 pounds in a year. Yeah. So it, the training mattered, you know, and yeah, the, the yeah. social environment definitely mattered as well. But the, the, the evening crew and the night crew was mostly the, the people that were training in the morning either had second shift jobs or didn't have any jobs or had illegal jobs or I worked as a trainer. 
so yeah. I could make my own schedules. The people that trained at night had nine to five jobs. How that much was- of, how much of, uh, <clears throat> I heard what I was kind of researched is Westside has had like a ton of success. Mm-hmm. Is it Louis Simmons protocols per se, or is it more the environment of being around so many guys that are doing so well? I think it's both where when I was there, there's, there's a misconception because shortly towards the end of the time I was there, but then after Louis started recruiting people in. Mm-hmm. And I remember when he was doing that because Wendler was one of the first ones. JL Holdsworth was one of the first ones. And I remember telling Louis that, is, are you sure you want to open this door? Because when you open this door, your loyalty from your people is going to go down mm-hmm. because they've already had a high level of success. Where we all came in, we didn't have that level of success. We got it there. Yeah. So the loyalty was different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So before that recruiting time period, he had created in powerlifting, you have different rankings. So elite would be the highest ranking at the time. He had created 79 elite lifters just out of Columbus. And most of those were from the West side. I was the first one to ever come to Columbus from a different town. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't allowed to get my name on that elite board because unless I did it in a weight class other than the ones I already had. Yeah. So that's a lot of lifters, basically just kids from a neighborhood, you know, to take to that level. So that I say is environment, mm-hmm. the programming. Now he will probably say it's West side programming and I can't completely disagree. I'm going to say it's just a program that people can't deviate from and they need to learn how to auto-regulate and how to adjust where people program jump a lot. Yeah. Right. So instead of getting a program or because most programs come from the same base, Mm -hmm. it's either block oriented, linear body, but whatever that base is, everybody, it's easy to find what those bases are. It's not so easy to find how to accommodate, change the base. Mm -hmm. Most lifters, even bodybuilders figure out how to do that themselves. That's more important than saying this doesn't work because maybe only 50% of it's not working. And then jumping to a completely different thing where you don't know zero mm-hmm, percent. Mm-hmm. So being forced into that same programming scheme is the variable. Yeah, I noticed it was interesting when you said that earlier, and you talked about when you were in a program, you would kind of ignore everything else. Yes, I don't think people do that anymore. I think people are always looking for, and I've been guilty of it, mm-hmm. always looking for an addition to what they're doing. So I'm doing this, yes. but I'm going to talk to this guy and talk to that guy and, talk, and I'm going to keep doing this, but maybe I'll add some of this guy's stuff and some of this guy's stuff. And your success came from just erasing all of it. Yes. Well, I had the, I had an easier ability to do that. Right. So social media, we don't have that. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's this whole other variable that can be a blessing and a cure. You know, I don't think, you know, I think once you're focused on you, you have to get prepared to get prepared. Right. So if it's, let's say you're going to do a show, there's X number of weeks out, you know, you need to start preparing for the show. Mm-hmm. But there's also what you know you need to look like and how healthy you need to be before those weeks start. Yeah. Right. So let's say there's there's those two time periods. Once you hit that starting gate of when it has to start, everything else needs to stop. So that's where I think they need to pull back. Maybe if they're still on Instagram, just save things. 
Yeah. You know, to be able to look later and stop, stop fucking looking for cognitive bias. You know what I'm saying? Or confirmation. Yeah. Most people only want to find what they think. They just want to justify what they're doing. Why? You know, that's a waste of time. I mean, either you want to win or you don't. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right now, the business side's a different side. Yeah. Right. Where there, there's there's reasons to be able to use the media for business, which that tips the scales yeah. where that's where I think the balance has got to be really hard for the guys today because they need to say, OK, this is for business. Mm -hmm. This is for competing. And then there's this middle ground where they don't really care how well they do competing because they're only doing the competing for the business. That's right. Yeah. So they have to be very, very clear in their own mind what they're doing. Yeah. Because yeah. the outcome, you know, your, your efforts determine the outcome, yeah. right? So if, if once the outcome happens and all that person thinks is winning was the most important thing, but their efforts didn't represent that, because if that was actually true, Mm -hmm. And that was the most important thing. They would probably pull off social media. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. just to focus on it. Maybe post enough to just stay fresh in judge's mind or whatever they need to do. But they would pull off. Yeah. Very few people is that the only factor. But have they thought about what percentage? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? Because anybody who's doing anything or striving for anything, if it's building a business or whatever it is, the more distractions you have, the worse the path is going to be. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a so, lot of sense. Um, so you, you, you're at the top for how many years were you at the top of the powerlifting game? Maybe a decade. What is pay like? Is there, are powerlifters getting paid when they're at the Hell top? no. Fuck no. Well, can you explain that to me? Because this is a confusing part <clears> of me. So we have a, so I promote a bodybuilding show. In the middle of the bodybuilding show uh, a couple of years ago, we had a powerlifting event, not obviously sanctioned. We just had one of the world's top natural lifters come in and kind of do a little bit of a thing for the for the audience. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> audience were on their feet. Mm -hmm. They were on their feet. And I understand. I get it because I'm like, it's easy to understand. That guy is going to pick up that bar. That bar has got 800 pounds on it. He's going to do it X amount of times or once. Mm -hmm. or so obviously all the fans were like, you know, they loved it. So I'm like, if the fans love it and people easily understand it, why is it not making more money than bodybuilding? Yeah. I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. It's I've been on both sides of the coin. There are some competitions that do pay now, okay. right. That, but they're far and few between. So just maybe two or three a year. And that's only kind of recently been years ago. They tried three or I don't want to say it just started because years ago they had the WPO, which was paying as well. And there's, there's two sides of this coin where you have that end, but keep in mind, you have say 12, 13 weight classes. So who are you going to pay? Like, yeah. how's that payout going to work? And then where are you going to generate the revenue for the payout? Well, because go ahead. Sorry to interrupt you. I don't, I don't mean the federation because the IFBB doesn't pay anybody. Mm -hmm. I mean like sponsorships. Why are companies not sponsoring and paying these guys to do what they do for a living? Um, I can, I can kind of speak to that because I've sponsored lifters and there's, there's no return, right? So I've sponsored competitions, I've run competitions and all they've done is waste. It's just been a waste of money. Yeah. It supports the sport, but there's no direct ROI. So yeah. 
now that we are in this information age, it's way easier to track ROI on anything. So any money you put out, you can track where it's coming from. Mm -hmm. Now, if there's no return on it, that's a bad investment. So nobody's going to keep doing that. Maybe they'll do it to support the sport. So there's where that comes from. Then when you sponsor lifters, then sponsor for what, right? Because when, now that we have, we have a database, it's called openpowerlifting.org. It's an open source database that ranks all lifters, but it goes all the way back too. So they almost have everybody ranked going since the dawn of time. Yeah. Because it's open source, I was able to extract all those names and compare it to my customer database for 20 some years. Mm -hmm. On average, 4% of my revenue has come from competitive lifters. Really? So how much money do I want to put into competitive lifters for sponsors when it only generates 4% of the revenue? And then when I went and looked at all the years I was sponsoring lifters with gear and all this other kind of stuff, it was never even close to what was coming back in. Yeah. Not that's just dollar for dollar. That's not profit. You know what I'm saying? Cause I yeah, still yeah, have expenses yeah. on everything. Yeah. But with that being said, there's an aspirational quality to it. Mm-hmm. You take a lifter, you put them in a bodybuilding show and everybody's like, Holy cow, that was cool as hell. Yeah. Then they go follow that lifter that now we're not talking the sport anymore though. That's true. But right? why now? You but see what goes, I'm saying? Yeah. But that goes back to my, actually, my question is, I think powerlifters are cool. I think what mm-hmm. they do is cool. I think it's easier to understand it for the average person. Why are these guys not getting a bigger following so that sponsors are getting a, an ROI? And, well, now, now we're talking a different conversation. We're not talking yeah. powerlifting. We're talking yeah. personality. Yeah. Take a bunch of introverts and tell me how many followers they're going to have. Tell me how much influence they're going to have. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? So, I well, mean, Larry, Larry Wheels does great. Yeah. yeah right. But yeah, he yeah. no longer competes anymore. Yeah. So that is that is that an exception to the rule, or is that the rule to justify what we're talking about? Yeah, yeah. You see what I'm saying? So yeah. now there's always ads that you can put pictures in, you know, videos of people lifting big weights. But does that need to be a big name? You know, it's from a business sure. perspective, it's kind of how that falls in there. Yeah, personality matters, and sure. I think that you know, for the athletes, bodybuilders, powerlifters out there that are listening to this. Their influence matters. Their personality matters. We don't want to sponsor anybody that's going to be a bad influence, right? Yeah. And it doesn't matter so much, even probably to yourself or other people, if they have 100,000, 200,000 followers. If they have 10,000 followers that really, really like that person, yeah. 100 sales from one athlete, you know, that everybody knows this. That's a hell of a lot of sales. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're lucky. Most people are lucky if you get fucking three sales a month from one athlete. And that's the truth. Yeah, you know, nobody yeah. wants to talk about this, but yeah. most of them are no sales a month. Yeah. So if you got one that's three, it's like, holy shit, we got a sale from this person. Mm-hmm. You know, we got a referral from this person. So that's your point. Yeah. So that, that matters. But if you get the person that's humble, that's nice and people like them, it's a very, very rare person, mm-hmm. but they're out there. But they, people also need to remember they're going to be being courted by a lot of other people. Yeah, that's true. So were you then, if, if it wasn't for the sport giving you money, were you personal training through your whole career? Um, up until I started Elite FTS, yes. Yeah, okay. You know, so then it was a blend of both yeah. for a long yeah. time because yeah. the company, I started the company on 400 bucks. So, you know, it, it, there was no, I have no seed money. I have no loans. 
well, outside of paying for the building, I owe nobody anything. And the building's owned through a different company that we own as well. So I don't owe anybody. Yeah. Uh, vendors, you know, for, but that's normal business expenses. Yeah. So it took a long time to be able to grow because you're taking the $200 that you made this month and then buying $200 of a yeah. different book yeah. and then $200 of a different wrap and then just kind of, you know, floating that through. Yeah. So that was another reason why it took as long as it did. Mm-hmm. So when that got to a point to where I jumped before this, before the income was even close to being even to, you know, yeah. so I probably took about an 80% pay drop, but that was about the same time I knew I was going to stop competing. Yeah. So it's like, okay, if I'm going to do this, then I'm going to do this and I'm going to jump in 100% and I need to feel the pain again yeah. of not having any money. I need to feel the pain of having, how am I going to pay the bills, you yeah. know, yeah. to be able to get it rolling again. Yeah. Did you, when you left the sport, was it mainly for, because of injury or is it mainly because you saw a business opportunity? Both. So they coincided. How, right? bad, how bad were the injuries? So you kind of saw the writing on the wall and you're like, I should do this thing because I'm injured or was it? Well, I, yeah, I saw the writing on the wall actually before coming to Westside, because when I was talking about that genetic ceiling, yeah. I was starting to pop things a lot more, a peck here, you know, it, no, no surgeries, but just, well, actually this uh, one shoulder, but a peck, a shoulder. It's just like, God damn it. Every time I try to push yeah. something pops and what the hell. And it just, I was, when, when, Everything seems to be right, but every time you start to peak, something happens. And that's indicative that something, you know. Yeah, I know that better than yeah. Yeah, um, you're 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 running close to the end. Yeah. And so Louie with that new training and all the other stuff was such a different stimulus that bought me a lot more time. Mm-hmm. But what happened was another shoulder surgery later, I got to a point where I could no longer grab a squat bar. And they, I needed a shoulder replacement, which I'm still not willing to do. Yeah. And at that point, it's like, all right, so I can't grab the bar. And the only way I'm going to be able to grab the bar is to get a shoulder replacement. And if I do that, there's no way in hell my bench is going to come back. Yeah. It's already on. So what, what's the outcome here? It, competitively, the outcome is not better than I was. Yeah. No matter what road I looked at. So it's like, okay, plus my business sucks. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, it, it's not yeah. growing. It needs more time. You know, at that point I had uh, one employee, two employees, these employees depend on me. How can I expect them to be all in when I'm not rolling in there till fucking 12 and I still got blue heat on from yeah. the gym, Yeah, you know? So am I even being the leader I'm supposed to be? And so they, they coincided. Mm-hmm. If I knowing myself, if the shoulder never happened, I don't think this company would be here. I yeah. think I just would have kept rolling. I just would have kept doing it. Yeah. Just kept powerlifting. Um, that's so yeah. it's, it's a good thing. Yeah. I think everything, everything happens yeah. for a reason. I mean, I'm, I'm in the same boat, right? Enough injuries to kind of, push you into doing something else and then something else happens to work out for you. So, well, the crazy thing is, is it's, I still think like if there was some way, you know, oh, I know you're not going to, you're not going to say it. Are you? I know, I, but I know it, but I still think it, but you see what I'm saying? I don't think that thought ever goes away. No, I no. really don't say it's what just, you're, say what you're going to say, say the thought. 
like if I can just pull it together and if they have some kind of gear that can keep my hip replacements from <laughs> fucking falling off because there, you know what I'm saying? There's always, there's so many, I don't know. What I've realized now is if I start to have that conversation, I jump on myself and it's like, dude, shut the fuck up. Yeah. Dude. You know, but I got to still satisfy that somehow in the gym though. I can't just go in there and just work out. Yeah. And I don't think I ever will. I think I will just never train if that was the case. Yeah. So I, I struggle. Thought. No, I struggle with those things. Myself. I'm, <laughs> I was laughing because yeah. I'm the same way. So I've been through like a bunch of injuries in the last five years. And that's mm-hmm. why I haven't competed since 2017. And um, I just, I, I always, I'm the same way. I'll sit around and be like, if I could just get stem cells, mm-hmm. Done, mm-hmm. if I just get stem cells done at enough places, I'll patch up all the problems and I can get back on stage. Yep. And uh, then I have to stop myself and go, it's not realistic, right? So it's, uh, I, I don't think that thought will ever leave. It won't. I'm telling you, it won't. I'm 52. It's, it still <laughs> doesn't, you know, and, but now a lot of it is like, okay, I wonder if those stem cells will help this fucking pain in my groin. You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, it's, it's that stuff yeah. that all, all that wear and tear that you think you got away with, you realize you didn't, yeah. you know, and that, that's what creeps up later. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I want to ask, do you sit around sometimes and think about at this stage in your life, do you still think about, I know you think about competing, but do you still think about your biggest lifts? Do you still, do you still go back and look at old videos or old photos or are you kind of on with your life and happy with what you're doing and, and you're past it all? Yes. And no, the, the, the way I'm going to state this is throughout most of my most of my life, I'd say from high school on, and you probably had the same things. People listening to this probably had the same things. We've always had these people saying, well, what are you going to do with that weightlifting crap? Right. Yeah. You're not going to be able to do anything with that. Then as you get older, people start saying things like, you know, when you're on your deathbed, you're, you're not going to be thinking about this. You're going to be thinking about this, this, and this. Well, uh, I've been on my deathbed a few times and I do think about the heaviest workouts I've done, some of the heaviest lifts I've done. I still think about my wife. I'm not saying that. I still think about my wife, my kids, all those things, but I'm reminiscing about all those things. And a lot, most of them are not competitive, to be honest with you. Maybe one of them is like my biggest squat, but a lot of them are my biggest lifts in the gym. Yeah. You know, a lot of them are, you know, I've done things recently that I put just audacious goals out of stupid things I want to do lift wise that are relatively safe, but it takes me a year to train for. Yeah. You know, so I go for big things that are reasonable, that still require the effort and work that's manageable. I think about those things. Um, So that kind of answers the question. I do, but I don't think the other thing I think about a lot is um, the camaraderie. Mm. Right now, as a lifter, there's I, the way I've always explained it is you're, you're kind of sitting. I love the squat, the mm-hmm. fuck all the other. The squat to me is everything. Mm-hmm. It's just it's, it's just that's why it's the logo of the company. I mean, it represents so much as well. You yeah. can never do you need a lot of people to be able to make it happen. You need spotters. Right. You got to have that. So if there's three spotters, you know, is it faith behind you? Family on one side, friends on another side. You know, so you got all these people that are on the platform that with you, all these people that help you get to the platform, training partners and all these people. But then when you get there and you unrack the bar, it's just fucking you. Yeah. 
Yes. All these people got you there, but it's just you, right? Then you got these judges, which everybody's going to criticize you. And it doesn't matter, right? Because they can say it's a bad lift, a good lift. You still are going to feel the way you're going to feel one way or another. But, you know, that, that's fucking life, right? <laughs> so it's, yeah, yeah. and you still get, no matter, you can take it out and it feels heavy, heavy. All like, oh my God, I can't do this. Doesn't mean you can't do it. It's yeah. just heavy. Yeah. You know, sometimes life is just heavy. It doesn't mean you can't get back up. So I fucking love the SWAT for so many reasons. Obviously, I'm passionate about that shit. Yeah. Um, so that I think about a lot. You know, those little squat trials that I put out there. And sometimes it might have been a, like a challenge set. You know, can I do 315 for 50? You know, then you fucking do it. You know, you think about those things. So, but the camaraderie is what I was talking about. The squat kind of took me off of that. But yeah. when you're competing or you're a squatter, you got your knees wrapped, you can't get up. You got to reach up. Somebody grabs your hand and pulls you up. Man, I think about that hand. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Some fucking grabbing and pulling you up is like, let's time to roll. Yeah. You know, then you walk up. And so those, those moments, man, they never go away. It's almost the kind of a void you're trying to, do you try and fill that void or you just realize that that void's not fillable? Oh, I try to fill it all the fucking time. But do you fill it? Uh, I don't know if you can fill it in the gym. Are you doing other things in life to try and like get that exhilaration? I can't get it. I can't get it. You know, I, I do like uh, two weeks ago, I did a max effort reverse spider bar band bullshit. It doesn't matter what the lift is. It's a heavy ass squat. So when I take it out, it's a lot of pressure. My eyeballs want to explode. I'm only doing a single. It's with reverse bands. It's on a high box. The odds that I'm going to get hurt are really, really low, but it can still probably happen. But that feeling like I had to train a year to be ready to do this. Yeah. You know, and, uh, and, and to do it at a lighter body weight and all that, it's the pressure. I still find it. I don't know what I'm going to do if that gets taken away. Right. So, yeah. Are you able to find that in business though? Fuck no. I don't think so either. Right. No, I look, but it's just, I, it, it rely, this is going to sound terrible. It relies on, I don't get that fucking selfish satisfaction. You know what I'm saying? When you pick yeah. the bar and I stand up, yes, a lot of people help me get there. Yeah. But I have to take this load. I have to absorb it. I have to stand up. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's what I can't find in business. I can find getting under the bar. Yeah. Yeah. But I know what you mean. And I don't know if I want to. Right. Cause then you're the selfish prick. It takes, you know what I'm saying? You're not just the only one lifting the bar anymore. Well, I don't think it would be a successful business if it was by yourself anyway. No, it wouldn't be. So, so I understand what you mean. It, it, yeah. That, yeah, that doing it by yourself thing is, it's, I mean, we have it in bodybuilding too. Like when you walk out on stage, there's, even though a bunch of people helped you get there, there's nobody out there with you and you're kind of on your own. So well, it's, it, like it's selfish. It's, it's kind of reckless. Right. And it's, yeah, I have to feel that because what happens, let's say if I try to do a business and a lot of times I probably will, yeah. you know, if somebody's not doing something the way that I want to do it, it's like, you know, fuck it. I'll Google it. I'll sit here for 10 hours to figure out how to do it. And then I'll go, fuck, I shouldn't do that. I've done that. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. 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 <clears throat> well, Dave, I, I, I've gone way over the time uh, allotted. Uh, it's pretty fascinating talking to you, man. I know you got a lot of stories and a lot of information to give people. If you would, I'd like to have you back on a different time. We just yeah, that'd be talk, great. This is a good time. Talk more shop and stuff. Hopefully, maybe the next time we do it, I can do it in person because when the borders yeah. open, I can come over and train, and we can sit and have a have a chat live. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, man. Is there anything you want to plug, promote, or say, kind of before? Um, we head off? 
I should probably plug the program John and I just did. Yeah. So the unity program, um, John and I got together. I mean, everybody who follows you probably knows. Sorry to interrupt. Uh, Dave, is that on your Instagram? It's on John's. One second. You know, I just gonna... reactivated mine. I'm just going to pull it up here. One sec. So this is your, this is elite FTS Instagram. Go to John's, go to John's Instagram. So you guys did uh, look for the unity program. It should be down there somewhere. Hopefully uh, there it is. Yeah. Right down there. So you guys did this program together. Yes. Yes. So the people that follow you probably remember John and I training together for many years. So it took us a while to actually get this program conceptualized. So John proposed the idea years ago and I kept blowing it off. Yeah. Cause I just didn't want to deal with it. And a lot of work went into this thing because all the things I wanted to do, we really couldn't do. You know, I need to kind of step back on that because I like to rotate bars. Most people don't have the bars. Yeah. So all the stuff I throw out there, John's like, nope, can't do that. I'm like, God damn it. Well, what can we do? You know, it's like, okay, we can do this. So it's, it's, it's modeling some of the max effort, powerlifting, dynamic work into his high volume work. It's not a powerlifting program. It's not a, it's a, it's a blend of both. So it's okay. fun. I'm proud of what we came up with because it took so damn long to get it done. Yeah. So that launched beginning of the month, I believe you can get it through his website. So it's on the, it's on the granite website. It's on the granite website. It's on, no, the John Meadows website. Oh, on the it's, mountain mountain dog, I think. Yeah. Let me see. I just want to see if I can bring it up for people. I actually do this. Go to elitefts.com. This will be easier because I can, I pulled all his crap together. I think I already have that up. So give me one second here. I shared my screen. Elite right, go to articles. Article. So go to homepage. Oh, this is okay. Homepage. Yeah. Then scroll down. Yeah. To articles. articles. Click that. Okay. Okay. Then we're going to go to scroll down. Look for right stop right yeah. there. Yeah. Click on that. I had my team put this article together. This has all the videos where John and I are showing some of the workouts. Here's the FAQ about the program. Then there's links to the program in there. So this would be the best place probably to go to get everything that was in our email blast. It says pick up the program. Oh, this is the program here. Yeah. The yeah. yeah. Get it for only a hundred bucks. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna buy this, but I don't want to put my information out on yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> on the put credit card in there. <laughs> All right, so if they want to buy it, they can go to elitefts.com or to mountaindogdiet.com and find the Unity program. I think it's gonna it's gonna be really interesting. You know, honestly, I think my favorite time in training, and I think the most progress I made was after starting to work with John. And I, in a lot of John's methods, as you know, are come from powerlifting. Mm -hmm. so i think um if this is anything like that i think people are going to really like it i think so i mean the feedback so far has been good but it's only been a few weeks so you can't yeah yeah anybody that's saying yeah it's the greatest program ever is an idiot they've done yeah. it for three weeks yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> well maybe they're just having fun with it <laughs> yes yes they are having fun with it so yeah. that's a cool thing all right man is there anything else you want to cover no i'm cool man i appreciate it it's a good time dave thank you very much for taking the time man i know how busy you are and uh, i'm glad we finally got to do this and yes. uh, hopefully we can do it again. Yep, thank you. Okay, Dave. Thanks a lot, man. Bye-bye. Right.